Ladies and gentlemen, may I present for your intellectual and philosophical pleasure. I'm Lilith. Lilith Malone. Istanbul was Constantinople, now it's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Been a long time gone, old Constantinople, still it's Turkish delight on a moonlit night. Before I even read the Satanic Bible, I read The Devil's Avenger. That was really eye-opening for me, almost as much as the Satanic Bible was in terms of a personal philosophy. Even old New York was once New Amsterdam. Why they changed People just liked it better that way. I guess I sort of um, envisioned like a lot of sitting around with like cigars and brandy and talking philosophy, you know, into the late hours. And there's some of all of that in Doctor's Lifestyle, and there's some of that in mine too, but um, that ain't everything. I suggest you put on a tie. Our biggest concern with the Satanic Panic was that they would declare Satanism as a dangerous religion that was illegal. Ladies and gentlemen, mesdames et messieurs, damen und herren. Welcome to a very special Walpurgisnacht episode of Nine Cents. I'm being joined by the High Priestess of the Church of Satan, Magister Apegnadramia. How are you? I'm doing pretty good this evening, Adam. Fantastic. I'm very excited uh, and honored that you would come on my <laughs> tiny little show and uh, speak to yourself, the Church of Satan, and uh, the Office of the High Priestess. Well, I'm a big fan of the show, and, you know, I'm always willing to <laughs> blab a bit. <laughs> well, let's let's do a little bit of blabbing if we can. Uh, I'm going to start, we're going to kind of break this into segments, so we're going to start with a little bit more um, personal uh, just maybe touching lightly on on Satanism here, um, but obviously, you know, for everyone listening, uh, you are married to the high priest Magus Peter H. Gilmore, and so let's start there if we can. How did you and Magus Gilmore first meet? Well, we met in high school. We're high school sweethearts, and that's uh, yeah, that's that's it. We met in high school, um, in a in a class. That's like most people meet in when they meet in high school. <laughs> so was it something that, you know, you know, like a, a old rom-com where you guys glanced across the, the room of, of half drooling idiots between the two of you <laughs> and <laughs> birds came flittering? Like, I mean, was it an immediate connection? Is it, you know, what... Mm. Uh, um, well, we, you, to you know, we had to share the same slate and piece of chalk because, you know, it was Little House on the Prairie days. Uh, no, <laughs> we saw <laughs> it was a long time ago. It was a chisel <laughs> and a stone. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, uh, well, I think um, he was a friend of a best, my best friend, and um, she had met him in a class, and then we did. We had a class together, so I kind of knew a little bit about him, and we started. Um, you know, it's just the way classroom discussions go, and question answer, and you know, we just started talking to each other, and then you know, meeting up socially with you know, as high school kids usually do in a in a group. So um, you know, it just sort of evolved from there. Nice. 
And is there anything in particular about him that attracted you to him, the way he spoke or, or his hair or, you know, how he dressed or, you know, what <laughs> what was it? Um, he was – I've always been attracted to really smart men. And um, he was obviously very, very intelligent. And that, to me, is is a turn-on and that's the, attract- the attraction. Um, you know, he also had really cool – Wolfman sideburns and uh, <laughs> he smelled really good and he had big strong hands and you know all that kind of stuff nice nice well and I have to ask because being high school sweethearts you, you've been with him for you know I don't know what a decade by now uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to so, say it. it's just embarrassing people look at us like <laughs> we're some kind of strange you know mutants that we could be together this long um, people just shake their heads. You know, they can't believe people get together and stay together as long as we've been. So it, it's actually embarrassing for me to tell people how long we've been together. But yeah, we've been together since we're about 17 years old. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I've been married a little bit less than you have. And it's, <laughs> oh my gosh, it is seriously embarrassing because it seems like nowadays, nowadays, um, th- if, if you're in your mid-30s, you're starting to think about getting married or you just shook it off for the, your whole life. You're just yeah. like, eh, it's, it's not really for me. Right. Or you've usually got a divorce behind you or a huge, <laughs> some kind of huge split up, you know, huge, horrible, you know, breakup of a domestic partnership or something. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, we're, we're looked at as total weirdos because for, <laughs> for only, if only for that like we didn't have enough weirdo associations <laughs> that's weird among the weird yeah so. well what i mean do you have any any advice for uh, anyone who is looking for a long-term relationship like that i mean obviously you're going to have ebb and flows of, of yes uh, you know, yeah. everything, and but. that's what makes that's what makes the relationship interesting and and dynamic and passionate and um, that's what keeps it going is that there are seasons to a long marriage like ours. And there are times when things are really rough and there are times when things are really easy. And, uh, I guess what I tell people when they ask me like, well, how do you stay together so long? I just never looked for the exit sign. And I think that a lot of people go into relationships these days, into marriages and into partnerships with that red glowing exit sign somewhere in the back of their yeah. mind, like that's the way out if I don't like this. <laughs> so, and I've never, it's never been for us, it's for both of us, it's never been there. It's always been, okay, if there's a problem and something isn't good, then we work on it and we fix it or we work around it. We find out why, it, you know, it's a problem. Maybe it's not yeah. a problem at all. So, you know, and, and we communicate, we talk all the time, we talk incessantly. And even when um, I was young and my mom was observing the two of us, like interacting, and she was, she said to me, you know, I really, it's really great the way you two are always talking to each other. Like your father and I went to, through long periods where it was just like, you know, here's dinner, good morning, have a nice day. And she said, you know, you two are always communicating with each other. That's great. That's actually really good advice too, is, is communication and 
working through issues when they come up. There's nothing worse than ignoring something, thinking it'll go away. Mm-hmm. Or we're just sort of holding on to whatever it was you think was a wrong and just sort of punishing them for the rest of the, <laughs> yeah. for the, rest of the marriage because of that one thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, um, I mean, you, you were obviously exposed at a younger age to Satanism. Um, were you involved in anything uh, like, you know, like the outsiders see Satanism, like, you know, magical groups or the occult in any manner before you were exposed to Satanism? No, unless you count the Catholic Church, <laughs> which yes, I was raised I in. <laughs> Born and raised in the Catholic Church, which is pretty occulty when you break it apart, but no. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I had no explorations in uh, Wicca or anything like that. So how were you first introduced to Satanism? Um, well, when I was growing up, um, it, Satanism was in the news. Um, when I was 11 or 12, I remember seeing uh, footage from Satanus on the news. Uh, I remember seeing uh, stuff about the Satanic baptism out in the Church of Satan in San Francisco. And, you know, it was the height of the occult revolution and the scary times for, you know, everyone about like, witches are everywhere. <sighs> I, I, I still remember there was an ongoing storyline in, um, the Sunday funny papers, um, the Don, I used to read Dondi in the Sunday paper. And, um, there was an ongoing storyline where Dondi gets, uh, picked up by this group of, they were Satanists. They wore black robes and baphomets and, um, they made clove cookies out of, in uh, the shapes of cloven hoofs and you know as a child I was like wow that must be what happens if you're just a kid wandering around on the street yeah but uh yeah I was exposed to it through the media like everyone else and then I kind of forgot about it for a while and then when I met Peter Peter was already a satanist and he handed me a copy of the satanic bible but before I even read the satanic bible I read The Devil's Avenger. That was the first book I read about Anton LaVey. My uh, aunt had given me a shopping bag full of uh, books she didn't want anymore, which is a famous thing in our family. People are always handing off, you know, giant piles of books. They consume books. They don't keep books. I'm the only one that keeps them. And uh, I read The Devil's Avenger, and I was like, wow, that was really eye-opening for me almost as much as the Satanic Bible was in terms of a personal philosophy because for the first time in my life, I was seeing adults doing things the way they wanted to do them and living a lifestyle that was weird and full of the kind of things I liked, like skulls and black houses and giant lions in your house. And I was like, wow, maybe I could live a life that's different. Maybe I don't have to be a housewife and a mother and you know a secretary or anything like that maybe i can really break out and be who i really am so that's that was very eye-opening for me too i think that's a really a really different way of of coming into it i've never heard that before where you see the philosophy and you think i i can be myself like this is this is totally different i think you know a lot of people at least in my uh, limited experience, when they read the Satanic Bible, there's always that, well, I saw myself in his pages and, and you know, I just sort of connected with it. Um, but for it to inspire uh, something that within you that you didn't necessarily think, you just sort of took as, you know, for granted, well, this is how I should live my life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and this this one philosophy said no, no, no. <laughs> There's yeah. an option. That's I think that's a little bit different. That's really nice. Well, it was exposure to you know adults who live an alter an alternative lifestyle, and I had never. I was 17. I had never really been exposed to that. I had some teachers who would talk to me about. You know, the fact they were like intellectuals, some of them were writers, some of them were artists. And that was interesting. But when I read The Devil's Avenger, um, it really opened my eyes to like, yeah, you could just paint your house black and do whatever you want. Okay. (laughs) And I did. And so you did. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, specifically the organization here. When when did you join? What was the motivation behind joining the, uh, the Church of Satan? Well, um, we wanted to, you know, be in touch with Anton LaVey and find out what else the church was up to um, and perhaps meet other Satanists. We were in our early 20s. I was still in graduate school, which kind of even delayed my um, active membership application because Peter kept saying, you have to fill this out. (laughs) And I was like, I'm writing my thesis. So I was kind of doing them at the same time. But, um, yeah, we got in touch with them, believe it or not. Um, they were in the Yellow Pages, uh, the San Francisco Yellow Pages, and they had a phone number. And when you called the phone number, they just gave you their P.O. box. So you'd write to the P.O. box, and then they'd send you um, an information packet, which had an application and, you know, all the information on how to join. And and uh, so that's what we did. Wow. Okay, well, before we dive headfirst into Church of Satan-centric discussion, um, what is it that drives you through the days? What What is it that you are passionate about that inspires you? Well, I guess it's it's like anybody else. It's different on different days. Um, I, you know, I, I love my husband and um, my dog and my family and my friends. And, you know, I'm involved in whatever they're interested in and helping them do their thing and admiring what they do. And, um, I have various different interests that emerge at different times, you know, you know, my whole cocktail thing. And sometimes I get really heavily into it and I'm, you know, reading all my recipes and I'm making up new recipes and I'm playing with all my different liquors. And other times I'm not, I'm kind of off that for a while and doing other things and like, this winter, I've kind of let the cocktail and tiki stuff kind of just sleep for a while because it, the room that my tiki bar is in is, is really cold in the winter. I just keep the lights off and don't go in there. So now <laughs> it's warming up. So it's time to get the bottles out and shine up tikis and start the lava lamps going and get uh, tiki-fying. And, uh, but then, you know, all winter I've been trying to decorate this this Victorian house of mine. So... I've been learning about uh, traditional Victorian drapery and how to create it and where to get the materials I need and that, you know, I can be a real obsessive not about stuff like that. You know, I also love where I live, the Hudson Valley. I find the the natural landscape here beautiful. I love to go out and walk and look at things and take rides to the various gardens and farms and beautiful old mansions and stuff there are to look at here and, you know, I can really spend a lot of time with that too. And I love music and I love reading and books. And right now I'm, I'm much more into history and nonfiction. I used to be, you know, strictly a literature person and read a lot of literature. So 
now I'm uh, more interested in, in nonfiction. But what? just like what everyone else gets through the day, that's yeah. it. It's I, obvious, you know, I mean, of course, yeah, everyone has uh, individual passions that sort of drive them, little hobbies and, and, and preferences that they like to do. I, I, I always, it, it always, um, it, it makes me smile inside when I, I think of, well, maybe, at, let me put a little context around my statement, in that when I was a young man thinking about what Satanism was, I imagined, um, you know, like like the, the, the promotional photos that Anton LaVey was taking. So I imagined altars of flesh everywhere at all hours of the day, and everything was all, you know, just carnival and crazy and, and you know, air quotes evil. And and when I, when I think of how... how uh, there are times when some of that comes into play, but it's really just, you know, what we've all come to love, a, a way of expressing yourself and, and finding strength in your, your own opinions and, and uh, tastes and and leading a very responsible uh, life that you can be proud of. It It's just, uh, it makes me smile that it's so drastically different than what people think it is. <laughs> yeah, it it's true. And, and I mean, even I thought of, a doctor and um, his family and everything. When I was young, I had a vision of reality there that was somewhat different than what the reality really was. <laughs> I sort well, of, the- I guess, I sort of um, envisioned like a lot of sitting around with like cigars and brandy and talking philosophy, <laughs> you know, yes. into the late hours, and you know, just people sitting around creating beautiful ritual wear and you know counting their candles and you know i guess um you know there is a little there's some of all of that in doctor's lifestyle and there's some of that in mine too but um yeah that ain't everything (laughs) (laughs) okay well i mean while we're on the uh, the subject here what what was the early church of satan like Uh, and and maybe you know a little compare and contrast versus what we expected all righty well, I was really happy to see this question because I wanted to just smack you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I wasn't in the early church of Satan. The early church of Satan happened when I was eight years old. What are you talking about? The early okay, maybe, church of Satan. What's that you, 1992? <laughs> For you, I should have said. <laughs> I do apologize. I'm like the early church of Satan. How old does this guy think I am? Um, (laughs) So no answer on your your, your early experience. I'll say. Well, you know, you're. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you, I mean, it was it was the height of the satanic panic, right? Yeah. Or or near the end of it. Yeah. Um, We joined the the church in uh, the early '80s. And uh, things really got geared up for the satanic panic, I would say, like, after 1985-6. I mean, there were others who would know better than exactly, like, the year Michelle Remembers came out. And then the year, um, I think it was 1988, that uh, was the year um, Geraldo did the big Satanism special. (laughs) And uh, I was in the audience. I was in the studio audience. Um, That was when things were really you know, hot. Um, what was it like to go through the satanic panic? Um, yeah. I mean, did you ever think uh, that, that it, it would 
end the Church of Satan? We Our biggest concern with the Satanic Panic was that they would, the powers that be would de- declare Satanism as a dangerous religion that was illegal. And that people would, it would be illegal to practice Satanism, to display Satanic symbols, much as like swastikas and Nazism is illegal in some parts of the world. And certainly, you know, a red flag here. It's not illegal to say you're a Nazi because, you know, we still have freedom of speech. But you'd certainly be vilified and, you know, probably lose your job and lose your housing and whatever. So that was our concern. We went to bat for Satanism and as espoused by Anton LaVey in the Satanic Bible, as not, a you know, a, a philosophy and religious position that should not be made illegal by because we have a constitution in this country that guarantees us the right to do this. We don't advocate any illegal behavior. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, and most of this stuff that was being said about Satanism, of course, we all know now is complete, was completely, you know, fiction and the people saying it were mostly crazy and but it just goes to show you how um, a witch hunt can get started and, and just keep going. And at the time, there was a media that was it was like a match to a bonfire. It was the, the perfect match and the perfect pile of dry wood ready to go because you had all these stupid talk shows way more than than now that were ready for any kind of like revolting, stupid, crazy guests it was free guests, free sets, free locations. It was great. It was great to be a talk show back then because yeah. everything was free. You could get any, you could, these people were beating down the door to sit on your panel and run their mouths and nobody held them accountable for what they said or did any kind of background checks on them at all. And so, yeah, that it spread like wildfire because of the media environment at that time. We don't have those kind of shows around anymore. We have the internet, but <laughs> but the thing is, the internet is much more, and social media are much more interactive. So for every you know Christian basket case who gets online and says, "I was molested," there's like ten people going, "No, you weren't, you silly sot," you know. Um, <laughs> I know you, and you know. So it's uh, we're our own police on the internet, for good or ill. We we police ourselves. We don't need Big Brother leaning over our shoulders um, and we don't have to be afraid that the government's spying us because we spy on each other perfectly. <laughs> the government doesn't need to do it. They have us to do it for them. Yeah. So that's good and bad. And, and in the case of crap like that led to the satanic panic, I think it's kind of good because there's always a, another voice out there. Whereas during the satanic panic, this stuff came on um, – these talk shows and you had like Sally, Jesse Raphael looking into the camera and saying, these Satanists must be stopped, you know, and then go to commercial. Like, (laughs) Oh, well, no one gets to say anything else. So just statement. Yeah, (laughs) it is. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's interesting. I mean, it is, and it's like a double edged sword, the amount of exposure that we have on the internet, but you know, it also allows us to have validity to a statement and and correct it mm-hmm. with with facts behind it. So yeah. it's, if anyone's you know, willing to read the facts, yeah, 
facts or listen to the well, yeah, facts. Yeah, or believe them just once they've read them. Two. You know, that's the, yeah. Yeah. Part two. Well, no one's the, listening. Um, so I, it wasn't the early Church of Satan, but when you did <laughs> join the Church of <laughs> Thank Satan. Thank you. <laughs> and, well, I and brought you met, my and, lunch pail <laughs> <laughs> and my homework. Did you, uh, what, what was it like? What was it like meeting Anton LaVey for the first time? It was everything I hoped it would be and more. It really was. I mean, I was perfectly prepared for a big letdown because aren't we all, you know, when we yeah. think about meeting our heroes, I was prepared for a letdown and, and there was no letdown. He was great and he was funny, welcoming, warm. He was um, intimidating on some subjects, stern on others, fiery on things he was passionate about. He could nail you with his gaze. He knew what you were um, into. He knew how to praise you in a way that you'd want to be praised. I mean, that's, that's just good lesser magic tools. And he had them, you know, he advocated people learn to use lesser magic. And that was because he was excellent with it. And, um, he definitely was a, a very charming, funny, intelligent man with a lot of weird interests and wide ranging knowledge and like who wouldn't want to spend an evening in the company of someone like that it was great yeah well, it's i think it's rare <laughs> that we actually meet someone that's that's lives up to the hype exactly so that's, right it's really nice uh do you think you know moving forward through time a little bit that the the social climate of the Church of Satan has changed over the years? When I joined the Church of Satan, there was no interaction between members. There was no internet. There was no email. There were no websites. There was certainly no social media. Media. Um, so there, were no, there was no, no interaction. Once in a rare while, Central would decide that maybe you could... Um, be more productive if you were in touch with someone else in the church who was doing something along the lines of what you, of what you were doing. But that happened very rarely. Uh, sometimes you'd run into another member by accident, which I we did a couple of times. Um, really? Yeah, a couple of times we ran into people by accident. Um, we'd see them wearing a Baphomet or they'd see us wearing a Baphomet and they'd ask us, you know, who we were, or like what we were doing, why we were wearing the bathroom, and you'd get into conversation with them. Even in New York City, though, that was very rare. So uh, it was, Dr. liked it that way, because he had people in his organization that he knew were not going to like each other. They were not going to get along. They were alpha males who immediately butt heads with alpha males. They're Women who immediately want to be, you know, the center of the tension. And if you don't think there's another hot witch right over your shoulder getting ready to do the <laughs> same thing. So um, he knew this was not, this was, a, you know, a chancy thing, putting a bunch of Satanists in the same room. And he enjoyed it. He liked it that way. 
Um, there were people with widely, you know, from looking around, there's people with wide ranging opinions and oh, interpretations yeah. and, you know, the right wing doesn't like the left wing and uh, the uh, cape and candle crowd doesn't like the more atheistic element. And there's people in the church who would never do a magical ritual. And there's people in the church who do them every day. So Dr. liked that that liked the fact that these people were not all in touch with each other because it, you know, made for a quieter day for him, not so much hair pulling and, you know, you know, separate sandboxes, please, which is, you know, often the bulk of our day. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was it was really different. You communicated with him and you communicated with maybe a very small handful of other members and Sometimes you communicated with no one. You just did your thing, lived your life, which is what you're supposed to be doing anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's how it's different from what it is now. And what it is now is different for everyone. But I imagine it's, you know, pretty much you can just turn that tap on anytime you want. You know you can. You can go on to Facebook or Twitter and be in touch with 25 COS members in a minute. And um, right. There was a time when that was unheard of. So that is the difference. Do you, do you think that that's a good thing or a bad thing? I don't think it's... Um, it depends upon the person. Because yeah. we all manage our social interaction differently. Um, in, in some ways, it's way easier for us that we can communicate with our members and the outside world so rapidly. We can announce news or changes or uh, promote a new book or movie or something that someone's involved in with the touch of a button. And that's really good because it's sure if, if you've never sat down and put stamps on 350 letters at a time, you know why that's good. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time, I could wake up on a Saturday morning and I have many times and found out that a giant hair pulling match has taken place online and I'm the one everyone's turning to to put out the fire. <laughs> and it's like, what happened to people licking a stamp, throwing the letter in the mail, waiting three days for their you know, opponent to read it? Then they respond and then I respond. You know, it's not like that anymore. It's like clickety click, 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 done. You know, people say things they can't take back. They say things they, you know, in the heat of passion. And then it's like, you said what? Um, <laughs> and, it, you know, it puts us in a very, you know, it's like I was going to write and you know, like Megas Gilmore gets this all the time. I was, you know, I had something productive to do today and now I have to deal with this. And that's kind of the way our lives are with it. And it's because of the instant nature of social media and the internet and inside and outside the COS. Yeah. Well, we've, we've uh, moved a little bit past the path here. Let me, let me pull us back really quick here and back uh, on the path. Yeah. <laughs> Flagging you over here. Over here. So <laughs> the transition of the administration within the COS after the passing of, um, Anton LeVay, uh, it is the source of a lot of arguments and um, 
individual dissension. Really? <laughs> Newsflash, in case you've never heard this before. Well, I've heard a few you. things, but <laughs> I've never had any specific questions. That's <laughs> the problem. I mean, you, you, you were a significant part of the Church of Satan when this was happening. We were, we were helping and assisting with the administration of the Church of Satan for years before Dr. LeVay passed. Yeah. So I mean, it was fairly seamless when we took over the day-to-day running of the church. It wasn't that big a deal to us because we'd already been doing it by remote control um, between San Francisco and New York. So, I, And I guess, I guess by way of um, uh, the media in general or the emerging... Um, internet and, and social networking, it became much larger of a fuss. If there was anything that you could go back and change about that transition, not the administration side of it, because as you mentioned, that was flawless, um, but but maybe to to ease in the in the social understanding of the transition, is there anything that you would be able to go back and or, you know, if you could go back, that you would change? I don't think so. I'm. Our website clearly states all the the timeline of how everything happened and yeah. who took over and who was, you know, when my husband became, became the high priest, when I became the high priestess, it's all there. Um, okay. That's how it happened. There was a legal um, battle going on in probate with uh, Magistra uh, Barton and um, LeVay's heir, Dr. LeVay's heirs. Um, obviously we couldn't, while that was ongoing, we couldn't announce to the world every aspect of it as it was ongoing. The end, at the end of the day, Magistra Barton, um, is, was the owner and operator of the Church of Satan and that was it. I mean, that's on record. So when, whenever I'm, I'm collecting, uh, information for um, interviews with people, I often write down things, and I don't. The course of discussion shapes how and, and whether I should ask any question, and, and uh, it becomes problematic at times, and, and sometimes it becomes touchy. Um, and I know, you know, sort of leading into this, it's impossible to distill any individual down um, to a few points or a simple thought. Um, but I do, if you're okay with it, um, want to ask, what is it that you miss the most about our, our late high priest? I miss hearing his voice and his humor and his perspective on things. Um, there are so many times when things happen that we have to deal with and it's a problem and I just wish so much that I could get his opinion on it and hear what he has to say because I know he was so good at looking into and through people who were problems and just completely focusing on their who they were and their issue and what to do to just deal with them and be done. And he was great at it. And he had a way of um, just encapsulating situations that was, you know, I I only hope that, you know, by the end of my life I could achieve something close to that. He was just really good at at reading people and 
and knowing just how to deal with them. And I wish I had his perspective on that many, many times. And I don't know if it's, it's really all that common, but I know for me, when I have shared experience with someone and then I lose or, or that, that the individual moves on, what we shared changes a little bit. So in, within that context, did the Church of Satan or maybe Satanism itself change for you when he passed? Satanism can't change for me. Satanism is my core philosophy. It's the way I view the world. There is no individual who can change that, um, whether that person's here or there or anywhere. The Church of Satan changed for me in that I did not have my mentor and my teacher anymore to turn to when problems arose and when I wanted or when I wanted to show you know him something great that some member had accomplished or said or done or you know things happen in the media wonderful references to Satan or to the devil or things that he predicted would happen like happen right on cue and it would be so great to turn and go doc did you see what happened they did that exact thing <laughs> and um he's not here anymore to do that with um so the church of satan also became you know became a job for me and when i entered it was not a job it was fun i you know the members that we gradually met up with over the years we had great times. You know, people would come and visit New York and we'd show them the city and we'd do uh, rituals and we'd go to, you know, occult bookstores and weird museums that had cool satanic stuff. And that was my experience of the Church of Satan. It was all fun and good times. And then bit by bit and year by year, it became, you know, a job. And a lot of work and, you know, just a lot of serious concern. Things had to be taken care of and dealt with and, you know, misinformation cleared up and problems solved. And uh, I realized that that's not the experience of most members. Most members just get to do their thing and occasionally interact with each other. And uh, they're great. Sometimes I envy them. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, in line with, with what um, you're speaking to here, what is your most treasured memory um, to date of your experience uh, in administrating the uh, Church of Satan so far? I think that there's been a lot of great memories, and of course many of them center around the time I spent with Dr. LeVay. And singing with him in the kitchen at the Black House on California Street, um, driving around San Francisco in the fog in his black Jaguar. Those moments are all really great because I was in his company and he was just such an amazing person and a wonderful man. But, you know, when his when he passed on and... and other things occurred. I would have to say my one of my best memories is when the Church of Satan held a ritual in the Hellfire Caves 
far beneath West Wickham in England. And the, uh, the Hellfire Caves staff, they, those people were so great. And we had a wonderful catered dinner all the way at the bottom in their big, you know, round um, reception hall. And when dinner was over, they basically retreated to their offices and they let us wander those caves. And to be wandering those ancient caves with, you know, scores of church of Satan members and to hear the giggling and the laughter and to see people, you know, hiding in corners, kissing and um, just whooping it up and all night long and to feel the vibrations of that, that wonderful place where Benjamin Franklin, you know, drank tankards of ale was, is just, what could be better than that? Like, That's great. I was privileged, so privileged to be there. And, you know, everyone who was able to attend, I'm sure feels the same way. Yeah. Wow. Um, let's take a minute here. Let, let's, let's move a little bit back to the uh, administration. And I suppose, you know, the last third of this discussion here, when and, uh, I mean, you mentioned already that you, you were uh, working in, with the administrating of the Church of Satan organization. Um, what capacity did you first start working there? Well, we started dealing with more um, issues when we started publishing The Black Flame, which became sort of the house organ of the church quickly after a couple of issues. And Doctor definitely, he was impressed by what we did with it. He wanted to express things through it, so he would give us articles to publish and, you know, give us some direction, like, why don't you do something like this? Why don't you have that? So by doing that, we started functioning as sort of media representatives. And that's where that started. And then, you know, we started doing some interaction with some of the members, um, you know, at their direction, um, we started taking care of some paperwork and things like that for them. So it's just kind of like that. What was, and maybe is now, uh, the most frustrating part of working with the organization? I think the most frustrating part is really doesn't, so much come from our members. I mean, our members get in squabbles now and then and expect us to settle the fight. And, uh, you know, we have to deal with that very delicately. Um, but I, I would say that that's not unique to satanic leadership. It's, uh, you know, all leadership has to deal with stuff like that. Um, I think what's frust most of the, frustrations with running this organization come from the outside. It comes from people who misunderstand us. It comes from people demanding information from us when all the information we are able to provide them is freely available. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, they, there's so much they can learn about Satanism without asking a single question. And yet they look at nothing before asking questions. Um, journalists are extremely frustrating to deal with these days. 
I mean, I studied journalism. I have a degree in, in English and, and literature. Um, these people shouldn't even call themselves journalists. They're just people who send emails and wait for a response. They don't read anything. They don't, they don't check up on anything. They don't question anything. Anybody, anything anybody says, they just take at face value. Those people are, it's very frustrating to deal with media. We have times that go by when they're not interested in us and those are good times. It's nice and quiet. We can deal with our members and deal with the stuff where, you know, our own writing and works and everything. And then we'll get a flurry of interest because of some stupid current event. And um, it's extremely frustrating. We want to, they want us to provide the same thing over and over to them. They want, they won't read anything we tell them to read. Nobody reads anything anymore, by the way, in case you hadn't figured that out. Um, nobody reads anything. Uh, people go to our website where all the information is available and they just click contact. That's all they do. They just click contact and say, where can I get information? Like, <laughs> that's what they do. I mean, it's you're laughing. You know what but you just clicked? A couple of buttons over from absolutely that. <laughs> true. That is how it goes every day. And that is probably the most frustrating part that we have – gone to some trouble and you've been a part of it to provide them with a, a nice looking website that has everything we can think of to give them and they don't look at any of it they just go right to where can i get some information so <laughs> and maybe that's our fault like because i keep questioning that i'm like maybe they don't expect it to be in this format maybe there's something new out there that they expect that we're not giving them and i'm you know, I don't necessarily immediately blame them, but I, you know, at the same time, well, I know how to read a website and I'm pretty old. You young people are supposed <laughs> to know how to do this stuff. But that's it. That's, yeah. I'd say, the most frustrating is providing information that no one looks at. Uh, yeah, that. I mean, that's maddening. I mean, <laughs> mm -hmm. I, can, I can totally see that. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, let me ask you, you personally, in, in your role as a high priestess, what does that mean to you? I mean, what what does that entail entirely? There's a lot of work. Um, I support, you know, our organization, and I'm very interested in all our members. I'm kind of the, you know, the, the nuts and bolts, whereas um, my husband is more like he – Okay, this is good. This is what I used to say, and I, this is really true. My husband is an expert at representing Satanism to the outside world. And I feel that my role is I represent it to those inside the organization. I'm the one that knows most about who the members are and what they're doing, and I deal with them with some assistance, you know, from some, you know, we have some help, but that's kind of my role. I'm here to deal with all of you and help you and promote what you're doing and look at what you're doing and answer your questions. And he's here, you know, he's at the prow of the ship, you know, going forward and representing us to the outside world. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. a really good way to <laughs> to state it. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you have any? I mean, because you you, you do speak uh, to to members directly a bit. 
do you have a, a philosophy of sorts for engagement uh, with other Satanists? I try to be, um, I try to be positive about what they're doing. I don't offer advice unless it's asked. I don't offer opinions unless it's asked. If someone is doing something productive, I try to give them a pat on the, the back and and promote what they're doing if I if I can in any way. Um, that's kind of my philosophy. It's um, you know we're all in the tent together, and uh, if what you're doing is is conducive to our philosophy, if it's in line with what we think, and it's it's cool and creative and um, productive. I'm all for it, and I'll help out any way I can. Um, that's my philosophy, and uh, if there's something you're doing that I don't think is so cool, but it's not against our philosophy, it's not creating any problems for anybody, it's not anti-satanic or anything like that, then I usually don't offer an opinion, because really my opinion, my personal opinion of you, the quality of your art or your singing or your band or your writing is really not relevant as much as you may think it is because I'm the high priestess. It's not relevant. What your opinion is relevant of your own thing, as long as you're dedicated to what you're doing and it doesn't present an image of Satanism that is against our philosophy and our tenets, then, you know, cool. You know, we'll promote that too. I really love that you said that because it, 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 it sort of connects what we were speaking with at the very beginning of this discussion about how there are dramatically different types of individuals who in any other context probably wouldn't ever, <laughs> even in this context of, of the Church of Satan membership, would Absolutely. never connect with each other. <laughs> but, yes. but that's okay. You'd be like, amazed. <laughs> it is so funny. It always cracks me up when I get you know, a message or an email or a phone call from someone who is, you know, needs to tell me this deep, dark secret. And <laughs> that, you know, everybody's mad at, at Mr. X because he's blah, blah, blah. And then I realized, then I have just as many emails in my inbox about the person who just emailed me. <laughs> Nobody likes you either, bub. I suggest you just keep your nose to yourself. Um, oh. You'd be like for every person who thinks that someone else is not satanic enough for the COS. There's people <laughs> yeah. in the COS who don't think you're satanic enough. I yeah. double dog Dario to ask me because I can great. guarantee you there is someone else who's got that same thing to say about you so i suggest you just keep your eyes ahead and do your own work do you feel compelled to to be diplomatic in that situation or or i mean do you just say you know what shut mind, up mind your p's and q's <laughs> <laughs> nice. that's my diplomacy that's a ring lardner was was um <laughs> nice <laughs> it's kind of like no it's really more like thank you very much your opinion matters to us you know <laughs> hello <laughs> thank you for calling nextel your opinion matters to us yeah. um it's kind of like it's kind of like that you know when you, you get a rejection letter from the, the editor of the new yorker we read your your submission with interest 
It's it's along those lines. We try to be <laughs> polite, but we don't encourage you know that kind of thing. We really don't. I mean, in in you know just the way that that Satanism has always been directed to be. It, it's it's counter to that. I mean, it's it's. I'm in a little club and this little person is not as good enough to be in this club. Yeah. So please, will you kick them out of the club? Yeah. I mean, well, Adam, that is human nature. And yeah, um, the, the thing about Satanists is that we should always be students of human nature. And we are certainly not immune from its effects. It starts yeah. at about age six when, you know, five kids on the street form the pirate club and the sixth kid isn't in it. Yeah. And that's kind of how it starts, and everyone is familiar with that social dynamic. All too well. Yeah. So, do you think that the type of individual that's drawn to Satan, um, to Satan, to Satanism, has changed since your exposure with it? I think that it it's changed. It's evolved because our society has evolved. Um, yeah. In the '60s, the people, and you can see this in Satanus. The people who came to um, the Church of Satan and, and got involved with Dr. LeVay were um, very rebellious. Um, they wanted to explore their sexuality in a more honest way. They wanted to explore uh, various, you know, their atheism in a, in a in, they wanted to be out about it. People weren't so out about all these things. I mean, when I was a child growing up in the 60s, people didn't even say the word divorce out loud. It wasn't, you know, it was a very, the times were a changing and people were drawn to Satanism because of the outrageousness of it. I went to a church last night that was devoted to the devil. <laughs> and I think that as as you know, that meme moved through as we moved through the sixties to the seventies to the eighties. It's just not that shocking anymore. People don't come to Satanism to shock their parents. They come because they've, they've been exposed to, they want something that's more hands-on. They don't want to be told what to do by a priest or a rabbi or a minister. And they're coming towards something Something that's missing from just their atheism. There's a sort of, there's a need and a desire for a more um, sort of hands-on way of, of running their lives and being responsible for themselves. And I think that's, that attracts them more than the outrageousness of saying, Hail Satan. Although that's certainly, you know, still <laughs> part of what we do. I love um, it. Yeah. There's also a huge sea change that I've been talking about for a while now and, and we're seeing the effects of it. When you look at the um, Church of Satan active membership application, which has not changed since Dr. LeVay wrote it, um, there's a question, what is your opinion of the Satanic Bible? There was never, ever a doubt in his mind or anyone else's at the church that the person applying for active membership in the Church of Satan would not have read the Satanic Bible. You'd be amazed at how many have not. Really? And that is a big problem for us now. Because of the internet and the proliferation of information about Satanism and just the, the word Satanism is, is out there now, um, 
there are many people who come to the Church of Satan and join the Church of Satan and have the Satanic Bible on their reading list, but they haven't read it yet. I know. You're shocked. I'm shocked. So Applying for active membership. Yes. And never having read it. Right. So the question is then, what do I do with this person? I don't even know if he understands (laughs) Satanism. If he hasn't read the Satanic Bible, does he know there's no Satan? You know, and often the question is, no, news to him. (laughs) So, and there's this big learning curve now. And that's why you get these, you know, these arguments and, and, you know, tantrums and online discussions because, you know, this guy showed up here in a satanic forum. He's talking to Church of Satan members. He starts talking about how, you know, he prayed to the devil last night and he doesn't understand why everyone's yelling at him. (laughs) He's like, what, what, what? Um, shocking to me. In a sense, like, yeah, he's a dork, but on the other hand, like, you know, he didn't read the Satanic Bible, so he doesn't know why everyone's suddenly screaming at him. So, uh, yeah, that, and what am I going to do with those people? There's also, um, there's a lot of, there's such an international aspect to it now, and there's a lot of people joining who don't speak English. Well, you know, I have to say that, you know, my education has been lacking. I don't speak another language fluently. I read a couple of them, but I don't really speak them. And what am I going to, like, how do I communicate with this person? Um, you know, I, I don't know if he understands what I'm saying to him. You know, I don't know if he understands the essentials of our philosophy, if I can't even really have a conversation with him about the nature of Satan and atheism and um the, the the individual, so those that is becoming a a problem for us, in that we don't really know always who we're talking to, about if they have a, a real grasp of our philosophy. I always say too that there's a lot of double entendre and humor and tongue in cheek in Anton Lavey's writings specifically, yeah. that I'm not always sure translates out of the English language. Um, There's a lot of people who read the Satanic Bible. There's no question. They read it in their own language. But they have this like deadly, serious grasp of things. And they don't get the humor of stuff. So when you say things like, you know, you know, you just make jokes. I had a devil's food cake last night. They don't get why that's funny to us as American they're like, yeah. but the devil doesn't. How can you eat the food of the devil? You know, it's just, it's, there's so stuff that just really doesn't, yeah, it interesting. doesn't. Interesting. But oh when God, you, I, yeah, when you think about it, you know, there's so much of LaVey's writing that's based on a lot of humor. And that humor doesn't always, you kind of have to be a Yankee to get it, or, you know, at least an English native. English speaker. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, how do you, how do you even move forward with anything in that point? I mean, you know, obviously, you know, it was, it's, it's all an American um, uh, foundation Satanism. Mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated with the idea of of other English speaking countries that connect with it because I, 
I do think it's dramatically different than than a lot of anything else that's ever been written. Um, and and part of the humor, part of the, uh, I guess a way to describe it would be that like the carny aspect of it mm-hmm. is is very much Americana. Yes. And if you don't come from that position to start, right. do you mm-hmm. understand yeah. that context? Do you really truly get it? So I've always been fascinated with that, but I never even took it to stupid me. I, I did time in, in Germany with the military and I still didn't take the aspect of, well, what if you're from a completely different language altogether? And, and mm-hmm. will they even possibly understand anything? Because e- even the most commonplace things have dramatically different meanings when it's spoken in a different language. And when you're trying That's to describe right. something so complex. Yeah. <laughs> well. It's, you know, like the the American Satan that we have, um, you know, the, the sort of card sharp, riverboat gambler, carny, step right up. Yeah, I think of Mark Twain a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's very sa- that's very much satanic to us. It's very Satan, but to someone outside, like say in a Scandinavian country, they're like, "Satan is a con man. He cons you out of everything." You know what I mean? Like, well, how do you get? Oh, well, not he doesn't con you. That's not the idea. Yeah. But you know, it's hard to get that context over to them. And uh, you know what? What are you gonna do? You can just. You have to do the best you can, and that's yeah. all we can do. We have to just keep pointing back to the words of Anselm LaVey and, and Megas Gilmore and, you know, who's done an amazing job elucidating and, and compounding on many of the satanic principles um, that, that required a little more fleshing out. And, you know, that's that's the that's all we can do. And, you know, Megas Gilmore has devoted his life to that. That's what he does. And he's, you know, the best at it. And well, we're very lucky to have him because. Yeah. I was. You know, I don't know what the alternative would be <laughs> at this point. I was actually going to ask about some of the challenges that the COS faces. And I think we, we pretty much addressed that uh, hands down uh, with, with our discussion just now. You have one question there that I would really like to answer if I may, and we kind of um, glossed over it in terms of another um, subject that we just kind of went nowhere. And uh, that is this question, um, what would you say to detractors that claim the COS died with its founder? Right. And, or that, that Megas Gilmore is taking the COS in a different direction? I would really like to answer that question because okay. I am extremely frustrated by that question. The church of the idea that the Church of Satan died in 1997 is something that people like to say because it sounds nice rolling off the tongue and it gives a lot of people an excuse for not spending $200 or it gives people an excuse to stay in their um their little hidey hole, uh, you know, doing their illegal drugs or whatever it is they feel that we'd object to so they don't join for that reason. But they have to make an excuse for it. And their excuse has become, well, the church of Satan died in 1997. And I would like to take one of those geniuses and ask them what they mean by that. 
define your terms. How did the Church of Satan die? The Church of State, Satan is still a, a corporation. It exists. It has members. It has more members than it had in 1997. Those members receive contact from central administration. They are in contact with each other. There is a website that reflects their activities and ours. Is that your definition of an organization? If not, then what is? Yeah. Well, if the Church of Satan died, then what is, what is your contention? That we've changed the direction of our philosophy? Megas Gilmore is an expert at satanic philosophy, as expounded in the satanic Bible. I put him up against anybody. I have yet to get a specific challenge to what he has said about Satanism and that shows me it's different or opposed to something Anton LaVey said. I have yet. Decades has, have gone by. Every person who has tried to step up and say, well, I was supposed to be the high priest, has failed to do that and meet my challenge. How is Peter killing off Satanism. How has Magus Gilmore changed the direction of the Church of Satan? Well, he did. How? No one can answer me. No one has answered me. The fact is that there are some people that require Anton LaVey to be a Satanist, and those people can't face that. They were Satanic fans. They were fans of Anton LaVey. Hey, he was a great guy to be a fan of. He was a wonderful man. He had a many qualities that people should have had read should admire him for but obviously their commitment to satanism was less than complete and they couldn't face going on with the rest of their lives without an anton LaVey around to pat them on the head or whatever so that's my answer yeah and and really i guess the, the context <clears throat> around that question um, stemmed from what statement would you like to make to those individuals? Because there's so much more beyond, um, you know, of, of the individual issues that these people are having of, of not understanding what Satanism is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a, a very popular argument is the um, supporting of the use of illegal drugs. Well, it's stated early on and throughout the entire history of the Church of Satan and just the religion itself of Satanism through its uh, essays supporting it, that it is not okay of any illegal anything. Right. It, it never su supports exactly. illegal activity. And so we don't support illegal activity. What organization does? What public <laughs> organization comes out and says, we support crime? And um, so, I mean, you know, from that statement, you know, of, of argument, you cannot take detractors seriously because they obviously don't understand what they're arguing against. Um, exactly. On the same token, I, I do think it would be um, very uh, wonderful to hear your, uh, your your statement about it, and uh, you did not disappoint. I mean, very, very powerful. Thank you. When you think about the future of the Church of Satan, uh, Bearing in mind where it's come from, the challenges that it's faced, are you hopeful? Do you, do you see that? Do you feel it's it's moving in a, a, a really positive direction? I am hopeful. Um, 
I think we've established a, a good foundation. Um, that's my, that's my, one of my personal goals is to, to get the church into the kind of shape where I can just hand it off to someone else. And it won't be um, so hard to figure out how to run it that, it, that it runs like a watch on its own. As long as you're committed to the philosophy and you approach people with the same respect and courtesy that we do, um, I'm hopeful that, that that can happen. I'm uh, currently involved in co- what I call career development, which means I look around me to see who's coming up that I can, that's a candidate to take this thing over. And I'm always looking. So, but I learned that from the corporate world that no organization is, is uh, stable and completely solvent if they don't keep looking to the future and developing people who are involved further. Right. Um, the Church of Satan has been an organization established for nearly 50 years. Mm-hmm. Are there any plans for a 50-year celebration? It sounds like fun, doesn't it? <laughs> ah, you're killing me! <laughs> um, yes, it do. <laughs> well, we've been thinking about it. Um, we'll see. Uh, we don't want to say anything right now. But obviously, <laughs> it, it begs the, the question, what are we going to do when we've been here 50 years? Yeah. So, we'll see. You may be among the first to know. A nice <laughs> game of cribbage, I think. Cribbage, <laughs> at least or Quidditch. It's a thing they play. There you go. There. Yeah, Quidditch. Except you can't fly. Well, what's the fun in that? <laughs> <laughs> we can run around like, <laughs> with broomsticks. Oh, that would be funny. Um, okay, well, I mean, let's let's pull it back to practicality here. And I know uh, <laughs> it can be frustrating, but how can people reach out or connect with you online? Well, I have a. Uh, a Facebook account, Peggy Nadramia. Um, you'll know it's me because I'm wearing like a Hawaiian shirt in the picture. Um, <laughs> I have a, a Twitter account. I don't tweet very much, but I tried to remember to tweet. Um, and then, of course, churchofsatan.com. You can always go there. And my personal email address is uh, magistranadramia at churchofsatan.com. You can send me a direct question. You may not get a direct answer, but depends on the question (laughs) and of course my my personal yeah my personal um uh, interest is represented at uh, cocktailvultures.com that's where i my cocktail partner joe netherworld magister joe netherworld and i uh, put up our recipes and talk about uh cocktails and booze and things like that so find us there well thank you if if people haven't checked it out, you you are missing out, really. Um, okay, well, by way of closing down the discussion, is there a message that you would like to share with our audience? Stay strong, stay creative and focused, and uh, everything else will fall into place. You'll see. <laughs> I love that. I was hoping you were going to say that. Um, Madison Dramia, it is 
such an honor of mine. I, I've absolutely loved this conversation. And every time I get the opportunity to speak to you, it is, it is so fantastic. Thank you so much for your cooperation and for your candid responses and uh, for taking the time for my audience and myself. I genuinely appreciate it. I'm happy to do it, Adam, and I'm very proud of you and your efforts here with Nine Cents and, and everything else that you do. It's always it's always great. You never fail to make us happy and proud. So any little thing I can do to help out, I'm happy to do it. Thank you. Until we can talk again, hail Satan. Hail Satan. Hail Satan.